0: Welcome to New Idea Live. I'm Ilan Journo. I'm joined today by my colleague, Ben Bayer, and this is a special episode. It's one unlike any we've ever done. And we want to tell you first why we're doing this special episode unscheduled and uh, in a different format from our usual practice. We have big news to share today, and it was so exciting and so big, we decided we wanted to get the word out and bring you all up to speed through the podcast. And also we have a write-up in our Journal online. So let me bring in my colleague, Ben. Welcome, Ben Baer. I wanna give you the honor of sharing the big news.
1: Yes, well, uh, the, the news is a great gift that we are basically bestowing on our audience. Uh, we've been negotiating for this for some time. It's, it's taken some work to make it happen, but uh, we're pleased to announce that we're going to be releasing uh, online for free the text of all four of Robert Mayhew's uh, anthologies of essays about Ayn Rand's novels. Uh, we'll be starting with uh, his, his, his book Essays on Ayn Rand's The Fountainhead in, the honor, in honor of the 80th anniversary of The Fountainhead this year, and that will be followed then by, I'm not sure if this is the exact order, but there's one on Anthem, uh, there's one on We the Living, And uh, my favorite in particular is the one that he did on Essays on Ayn Rand's Atlas Shrugged. And uh, these will initially be released on the website of New Ideal. That's newideal.ainrand.org. We'll be releasing a new essay uh, basically every week for the next few months. Uh, At a certain point then we're going to archive all of them on dedicated web pages that are devoted to each of the novels, and this will, we hope, s- uh, serve as a future resource for teachers, for students, for fans of the novels who want to learn about them and their philosophical and literary significance at the great depth that is afforded by uh, the scholars who wrote these really excellent essays.
0: Thanks, Ben. I, I just wanted to help people understand where these uh, anthologies Long in the history of the development of the objectivist movement, I think of them as the the beginning of the flowering of serious scholarship that happened after the publication of a landmark book by Leonard Peikoff, which is um, I think familiarly known as Opar. It stands for Objectivism: The Philosophy of Ayn Rand. It came out in 1991, and this really uh, put a systematic presentation of objectivism in front of people. It's a a terrific book. I learned a lot from it. Everyone that works with us has read it and studied it. It's the core of our educational uh, approach. And since the publication of that book, we've seen a a new uh, growth in serious scholarship of Ayn Rand, which I think this book made possible. This book made possible. And some of the articles in here will get a bit into detail about some of what's in these anthologies, but I, I found them really illuminating, and there's some really path-breaking observations that I think people will be excited to explore. Uh, ben, what, what's your perspective on these?
1: I'm uh, one of a number of people I know who think of ourselves as uh, Opar babies. That is, we were raised on uh, Opar as our major textbook for understanding objectivism, and it, it's it's hard to overstate the important way in which Dr. Peikoff's book really supercharged the study of objectivism. I mean, just one uh, uh, example of this is the the fact that we use it as the major textbook in in ARI's training programs, uh, for example, now in the Ayn Rand University. And the essays in all of these anthologies are authored by scholars, uh, who all of whom uh, participated in one way or another in ARI's training programs going back to the nineteen late 1980s and uh, 1990s. Uh, people like Ankar Gatte, Tara Smith, Greg Salmieri, Harry Binswanger. So uh, these are written by leading world experts on Ayn Rand's philosophy, on her fiction, and on how the two are related to each other.
0: So a word about who these essays are for and what you can gain from them. So just as a preview of what to expect. So you might think of these books and the way they are priced. If you go to try to buy these, uh, these collections of essays, you'll see that they're really, they're marketed for academic markets and, and libraries and things like that, but I don't think they should be seen as exclusively for academics. I don't think I mean, they're scholarly, they're rigorous in that respect, and they're suitable for that. But I think of them as accessible. They're, they're the kind of books that we see a lot of our ambitious students explore. They're a great resource for journalists and researchers interested in Iran because partly, uh, many of these essays rely on materials held at the Red archives. And in fact, we'll tell you a bit more about the very first essay we're releasing, which is a good example of that. So I think there's a lot to be gained from these Essays, whether you are uh, an ambitious student, whether you're a fan, someone trying to understand Ayn Rand from the outside and get a, a, a direction, um, and I think you've you've been involved in one of these books, Ben, and you know a lot of the people who have contributed. How how would you characterize the uh, the audience that's viewed here? I mean, while these
1: are essays that are written by scholars and in accordance with rigorous. Ah, uh, scholarly standards. I would not say they are written exclusively for scholars. Yeah. So I have an essay in, the uh, in the Fountainhead anthology, the one that we're releasing shortly. And I remember the process of drafting and editing it with Robert Mayhew. It was a talk. It was a, a piece that originally started out as a talk that I gave to uh, campus clubs around the country, and that was. Entirely of my own doing, but then uh, when I gave it to Robert Mayhew he thought, "Yeah, this could maybe work as an essay, but it's going to require a lot of work." I and mean, we just went through so um, you know major revisions to make the theme more coherent, uh, to make the language uh, more accessible, and and to make the, the message clearer. And I think he used the same kind of standards, not only academic standards but uh, standards of communication for all of the essays that he edited. And the end product, I think, is is quite a lot like what uh, Dr. Picoff says about his own book, Opar, in a a very uh, nice line in the preface. He says, this book is written not for academics, but for human beings, uh, including any academics who qualify. And so the point there is that uh, it's not written in a kind of scholarly jargon where maybe there's a few scholars out there who happen to know the niche discipline and they can decode your, jar, your jargon for themselves, uh, it is written in clear, accessible, plain English, but still up to high scholarly standards.
0: So, I wanted to say a word about why we're doing this. And it might already be clear based on what we've described as the value contained in these many, these four books and the many essays within them. We looked at this as an opportunity to bring in depth. Serious scholarship about Ayn Rand, the history of her writing, the literary aspects, the philosophy to a wider audience. And I, I, I've read all of these books. I gained a lot from it. And I know that's true of all of the scholars in our uh, organization and the students that we bring in. And we, we, we've we been frustrated, at least I'll speak for myself, I've been frustrated that not more people are aware of these books, not more of them are accessing them. And I think part of that is that the publisher views them as primarily a library academic type product. And we decided, well, we we sometimes would like to assign some of these essays in our courses. And when we looked at the way in which the licensing works, we realized for not much more than it would cost to license a few of these essays, we could license the whole book or all four books and then bring them to not just our students who I think would benefit enormously, but anyone anywhere on the planet who has access to the internet And to do that at zero cost, because part of our goal as an organization is to educate people about Ayn Rand, to help them understand what she had to say, to appreciate the accomplishments that she has in literature and in philosophy. And this was just a a great opportunity that we seized on. We wanted more people to have the opportunity to explore her ideas, guided by the scholars who produced these essays. And we think that this will really contribute to public understanding and appreciation of Ayn Rand's thought and there's many more uh, benefits but that's sort of how we viewed this and the the part of our hope is that people watching today and and reading New Ideal in the future will have the opportunity to read most of these essays and really enrich their understanding and and grow a deeper view and grasp of what Ayn Rand said uh, with some of the best experts and and guides
1: that uh, exist. You mentioned that one of the reasons that we wanted to be able to provide these for free is that we decided at one point we might wanna be able to assign these to our students. And I mean, we do take uh, copyright seriously. And so we don't just, uh, whenever we wanna assign a reading, we get the rights to do it, uh, even if we're only going to be sharing it internally. Uh, But then we figured, well, why only share it internally? This is of general relevance to a very wide audience of people. But just to uh, to give an indication as to why so, one of the centerpiece courses in the Ayn Rand University, uh, part of the first year experience, is a course that Ankar Gatte teaches called uh, Objectivism Through Ayn Rand's Fiction. And that's a, a new kind of course and a different kind of course than the sort of introductory seminars that we've had in the past. And one of the reasons that we decided to offer it uh, is the message that uh, Ankar stresses throughout the semester he teaches this course, which is that if you want to really understand Ayn Rand's philosophy, and you want to know where it comes from, what kind of basic observations of the world and integrations about human nature and, uh, and the universe, that she makes in order to formulate her philosophy, the place to look is primarily the fiction. There are a lot of people who, when they want to study a philosophy, the first thing that they look for is a nonfiction philosophical treatise. And that's fine. Uh, And this is not in any way to diminish Ayn Rand's own uh, nonfiction treatises, which are very important. But one of the things that Ankar stresses is that These are all written after uh, she formulates the philosophy initially in fictional form, and uh, they're in certain ways high-level summaries of the principles she's already beginning to generalize in beginning and completing the generalization of in in her fiction. And so, if you really want to understand the kind of the inductive base of the philosophy, the place to look is for her descriptions of the actions and choices of the characters that that uh, push forward the plot of her stories and so in that course we all of the readings are are the fiction and then we we see how these principles can be generalized from the things that you see happening in the fiction and uh, you may or may not have ever have a chance to take that course with us i hope uh, more people who are watching do but if you want to get a flavor for the kind of things that we're going to be talking about in that course an excellent place to look is the essays in these collections because they, I think, are uh, written on the same premise, that the original home, if you will, of the philosophy is the fiction and that uh, there's so much to find there, so much depth to be explored in the fiction uh, that I think a lot of people miss uh, when uh, when they have the nonfiction available to them and uh, when they read the story, when they read the fiction from their perspective, primarily for kind of entertainment purposes, and they, they really like the plot, but they're not thinking about how the ideas and the themes relate to the plot, that's something that's explored in great depth in all four of these anthologies. And now, not only our students who are taking classes like the Philosophy Through Fiction course, but uh, people everywhere in the world going to have free access to essays that demonstrate how the fiction does this
0: i just want to underline what you one an aspect of your comment ben which is that interest in ayn rand really is growing we see it growing in north america both the united states and canada we see it in latin america and we see it globally we've done conferences in different parts of the world we've had events in different parts of the world and we see the the interest is it's serious and it's growing it's nothing like what i saw when i was getting interested in ayn rand many many years ago there were hardly any i was in the united kingdom there was hardly anyone to find i know now there's a thriving community of people interested in ayn rand in the united kingdom and in other parts of europe we see this not only in the events that we have we see it in the ayn rand university and the students who are applying and, and enrolling they're not all from north america some of them are from latin america and europe and we see just a staggering number of countries and, and places that people are coming from, including places where, if people knew that the students were taking part in our reading groups or in our courses, they would they would be in serious trouble. There's some seriously authoritarian uh, countries involved, and we see it in web data. where we look at our web st- uh, analytics, we see people coming to einrand einrand.org, our website. And various elements of it, we see them coming from more than 200 countries in geographical locations. So, the way these things are measured is not only in uh, distinct recognized countries of the UN, but in many more places. So, it really is a global phenomenon, which was one factor in our decision to make this incredible, valuable educational resource available on the web, accessible to anyone on the internet. So, we're excited to have this. i think of it as a, as a massive trove of knowledge about Ayn Rand now rolling out and i should tell you what the first piece is and maybe we can show a, a screenshot of it so yesterday and today we released in two parts an essay by the scholar shoshana milgram it is about the notebooks and and Ayn Rand's work in developing her thinking around the fountainhead so it's the um, sometimes called the fountainhead notebooks and it's an in-depth exploration of that uh, so ben maybe you could shed a bit of light of what it is that com- one of the things that leaps out at you from this essay or that you took uh, away from it
1: yeah this is an incredibly rich essay by shoshana milgram who is a scholar of literature and especially of ayn rand's fiction shoshana has for instance the distinction of not only having read everything ayn rand ever wrote but having read everything that ayn rand ever read uh, which is quite a feat and so she's a has encyclopedic knowledge uh, of, of Rand's oeuvre. And a couple of things that stand out for me from this essay, so it's a, it's about the revisions that she makes from, uh, you know, to her drafts for the sake of bringing uh, The Fountainhead to publishable quality, and especially a lot of the cuts that she makes. And so uh, some of you who've perhaps read uh, certain parts of the early Ayn Rand know for instance, that there are cuts that you can read there, the cuts that were taken out of the book. And I mean, did you know that in the original draft of The Fountainhead, Howard Rourke had another girlfriend named Vesta Dunning, who was an actress, uh, and that there are whole scenes and whole sequences and, and a whole subplot about that. Uh, Shoshana discusses that in this piece. Uh, it's, it's fascinating if you've, if you've uh, only, uh, if, if, of course, if you've only read the, the actually published version of it. Uh, but then one thing that intrigues me, especially as a, as a, a philosophy guy, is the uh, discussion of Nietzsche. A lot of people know that there's some kind of uh, affinity or connection between Ayn Rand and Nietzsche. A lot of people uh, make allegations of, that she, Ayn Rand was just a Nietzschean. Uh, this essay has really important data making very clear precisely what the relationship is yes Ayn Rand did read Nietzsche when she was young she read him after she had already formulated her own philosophy she admired certain aspects of his thought Uh, but one thing you see happening in the drafting of the fountainhead is that while she initially starts out putting quotes from Nietzsche in the section headings of uh, different parts of the book and and also uh, attributes certain Nietzschean ideas to the characters Uh, in the early drafts, she does that in the later drafts she cuts all of that and Shoshana documents all of the ways in which it's cut all of the ways in which uh, the Nietzschean elements are consciously removed in part because this is the period of time in which she's she's realizing she disagrees with Nietzsche and doesn't want to suggest this agreement and uh, in fact there are ways in which the story of the fountainhead ends up being the story of uh, the, certain of the characters figuring out why Nietzsche is wrong, and so it's it's uh, it's fascinating to read from that perspective, uh, from the perspective of Ayn Rand's own intellectual development, uh, which I think I think then has also the implication of uh, dispelling myths about Ayn Rand and her relationship to Nietzsche. One.
0: Uh, other thought about Shoshana's essay, which I am excited for people to have the opportunity to read starting uh, this week, it is an excellent example of the use of materials from the Ayn Rand Archives, which many of the essays in these anthologies do. Shoshana is an active user of the Ayn Rand Archives, and you can see her, she's a, she reads closely, she's a very careful scholar. I, I one, it's One of the things I really respect about her work is that you always learn something, you see her going to the sources, always trying to rely on uh, finding primary sources. In this case, she's looking at Ayn Rand's actual notes in the archives. So it's a great example of serious scholarship on Rand that is accessible. So Shoshana, one of her other strengths is she writes in a way that is accessible to uh, everyone who's motivated to read, not just scholars who have uh, sort of a very high level shared context. So that's the essay we're starting off. I want to preview what we have next week, and then maybe, Ben, I'm interested in if there are any particular highlights you're looking forward to. Um, So, next week, we have an essay on the found head again from Tara Smith on on the, the theme of individualism, as well as an essay by Michael Berliner on Howard Rourke and his relationship to the actual architect, Frank Lloyd Wright, who's quite famous. There are many people who think of them as Rourke as a basically a clone of Frank Lloyd Wright. And so part of the essay is to look at that. And then we, as Ben was saying earlier, we will be releasing one or more essays every week for several months now until all of the essays that we've selected are uh, published on New Ideal. So I'm gonna share two that I'm really looking forward to the release and I'm curious uh, from your perspective, Ben, if there's one that you would highlight. So there is an essay in the book on Anthem that i recall having a really powerful impact on me this is the title of the essay is breaking the metaphysical chains of dictatorship free will and determinism in anthem this is by our colleague Ankar Gate. one of the things that's really striking about that essay and, and it's true of all the essays in the anthem collection anthem i believe ayn rand wrote it in three weeks it was sort of a, a book that she wrote very quickly it was a lot of the thinking had already been done that's my understanding of the, the process and yet and it's an early book it, it, she she paused writing found head to work on anthem it's an early book in in certain respects of her development and yet as this essay about free will and determinism makes clear her understanding of these issues was really profound and what you see and it's a short book and yet it's really rich with philosophical insights about the role of free will in human life and about the way in which a society that becomes, that is a dictatorship, is geared against free will and is counting on the fact that it's sort of denying that reality. So just a lot to to uh, mine in that essay. And then to go back to Anthem after, so this is one thing I'd recommend for everybody. If you read an essay that you find really impactful, and I hope you will, go back to the novel and reread it from the perspective of that issue and see how you will then gain, I think a deeper understanding or a deeper appreciation of that issue or that character or that element in the story. Um, so I'm really looking forward for people to have a chance to read that essay uh, on free will and determinism in Anthem. Ben, I'm curious if any of these essays stood out to you that you wanna share with us.
1: Yeah, I mean, those, I totally agree about the ones you mentioned. I'll just mention a few more. Uh, I'm especially looking forward to the release of several different essays by Greg Salmiari. I think these are really kind of model uh, model examples of the uh, how it's possible to to mine deeply the the essays for their philosophic integration. And uh, two essays I have in mind in particular are first the one uh, from Anthem about the uh, equality's discovery of the I. Everybody who's read Anthem knows that it's about a society in which the word I has been banned and in which uh, there is only the word we. And Greg's essay is a discussion of how the steps by which equality rediscovers the I, not just of course finding it written uh, in a book somewhere, but he's actually, he goes through a kind of inductive process of validating uh, egoism for himself. And uh, anyone who knows Leonard Peikoff's course, Objectivism Through Induction, he did a whole lecture on this. And if you actually go back to Anthem, you see the character making these discoveries in the kind of order that Dr. Peikoff describes. Uh, So that's Prometheus' discovery, individualism and the meaning of the concept I and Anthem. It's especially interesting from the perspective of a a philosophy that places a a lot of emphasis on the importance of its theory of concept formation. And here, in in very early form, uh, you see that theory working itself out in practical terms with respect to a crucial uh, moral and metaphysical concept. Another one that I'm really, it's going to be probably a little while before it comes out, but it's Greg's essay in the Atlas Collection, uh, Essays on Rand's Atlas Shrugged. Uh, which is called "Discovering Atlantis: Atlas Shrugs' Demonstration of a New Moral Philosophy," and this is again to the point that the uh, where the home of the philosophy, uh, the original formulations of it, the original reasoning for it, the original data for it, in effect, can be found uh, in the pages of the fiction, not in an essay like "The Objectivist Ethics," which is later published in "The Virtue of Selfishness," and that's not only because there's a lengthy philosophic speech at the end of atlas Uh, there are characters who are going through the process of philosophical discovery themselves a lot of people when they when you ask them what is atlas shrugged about what's the main kind of dramatic conflict of atlas they'll say well it's the conflict between the producers and the looters and that's definitely an important element of the dramatic conflict in the story but the deeper and i think more interesting conflict is the conflict that you see within the within the souls of the protagonists themselves, and sometimes even between the protagonists. And so someone like Dagny Taggart is deeply conflicted about her role in society. Should she stay and work to build her railroad uh, and fight against the looters, or should she go on strike? Uh, And that's uh, that's a conflict that is based on a deeply philosophic conflict that she has about the nature of ideals of whether they're achievable uh whether other people uh, can ever be made to share her ideals what is it that's stopping them from sharing them and this ultimately bottoms out in a a philosophical question about uh free will and about what it means uh, to want to live and greg's essay uh really puts all these pieces together and shows the philosophic development of the characters over the course of the novel, which helps you appreciate the plot arc of the story so much better in ways that I think a lot of people miss when they read it the first time in a, in a, in a relatively superficial way. And so, uh, and just as an example, this is, this is an essay that really taught me a lot when I was doing the Atlas Project with Greg, and we were reading through that whole uh, book week to week, and uh helped me to really appreciate what's so great about the novel.
0: Well, let, we should wrap up. We, we were excited to share this news with you. We told you a bit about what to expect and the value that we think these essays uh, present. We're excited for you to start reading them. The first one's up today. There'll be more each week for many, many weeks to come. And what I recommend for people watching or listening to us is go to newideal.ainran.org. If you aren't already part of our email list, join. And if you read the essays and you find the valuable, think about con- contributing and helping us keep them up online and keeping, keeping them free for a worldwide audience. We'd appreciate your support. The essays are now online thanks to the support of our donors. And that's the only way in which we can keep doing this. So we appreciate the support we've gotten some uh, just on this special podcast already. Thank you for the super chat support. And if you are, um, reading the essays, we encourage you to do that. We hope you'll share it with other people, people that are exploring Ayn Rand and just spread the word and help us find more people who are curious to dive deeper. With that, I think we'll draw a line here and we'll be back with another regular episode of New Ideal Live next week. Thank you everybody.
1: You've been listening to New Ideal, a podcast from the Ayn Rand Institute. If you like what you hear, Leave us a review, share with a friend, and subscribe to our other podcasts. This podcast was made possible by donors to the Ayn Rand Institute. Help support this podcast by becoming an ARI member. Go to aynrand.org forward slash membership.